Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. Your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and I have with me today a gentleman who's going to tell a story of uh, incidences that he went through and uh, some of the loss and gains in his life. Without further ado, I appreciate the fact that you've taken the time out of your day to be here and tell your story and share it with the law enforcement community. Uh, no other than Billy Cushing. Bill, do you go by Billy? Yeah, Billy's fine, Dennis. Okay, cool. Why don't you give everybody your uh, two-minute intro of who you are, what you've done, and kind of what brought you here today? Billy Cushing. I work for the Braintree Police Department in Massachusetts. Um, not a huge department, but um, right around 100 offices top to bottom. Uh, prior to joining Braintree PD, I worked as a corrections officer in uh, Dedham, Mass, for the Norfolk County Sheriff's Office, and um, did five years there, and then followed in the footsteps of my father at uh, Braintree PD, and uh, for the last 15 years, that's what I've been doing. Uh, 2010, I got selected uh, to the K-9 unit, where I was partnered up with my K-9 kit, and um, that's kind of what led me to where I am today. You started as a correctional officer. What time? Uh, what, what year was that? I was just young and dumb at the time. Uh, 2000, I started there. So I started in corrections in 01 as well. And uh, I never forget. And unfortunately, I'm not trying to poke fun at corrections and the people and men and women who do corrections. Up, you know, you have my utmost respect. It is a very difficult job. I have not forgot where I've come from, but I remember walking in and like day two, I was like, man, I better go back to school. Right. Like I, I got to figure something out. Right. Yeah. Those, um, those men and women in corrections don't get enough credit. It's, um, it's a, a tough job, but you also learn, um, how to talk to people because, uh, that's all you have is pretty much your voice in there. So definitely a, um, a good stepping stone for those that want to, um, become police officers. So you did that 01 to 06, then you got on the job. Yeah, I was actually there from uh, 2000, 2005. Exactly. My, uh, they used to like joke, if you didn't get out of, um, corrections in five years, you're stuck there for life. And I literally did five years to the day and then got hired by Brain PD. Were you trying to get hired as a corrections officer, just having difficulty getting on somewhere? No, I was kind of um, played a little college hockey and um, thought I was uh, better than I was. And I ended up um, getting bounced out of uh, college, thinking I knew it all. And that was kind of like, uh, you know, I got my foot in the door doing that. Someone said, hey, why don't you go apply here and do this? So that's where... Uh, I had no intention of, of being a corrections officer, but I kind of, kind of fell on my lap. So funny in New Jersey, corrections is a sworn position. Actually our state corrections officers patches say police on them. Okay. So they, they had that actually amended. And now that whole, all their uniforms say police, they don't say corrections because they are sworn law enforcement officials with full arrest authority and police powers in the state of New Jersey. They can't enforce motor vehicle law, but uh, they are cops. And, you know, the same test in New Jersey applies for police and corrections and like state game wardens and some colleges and some other and sheriff's offices. 
it's weird. It's like split. It's like these are civil service exams, but typically corrections will try to get their hands on whoever they can right away. Right. Um, they'll certify the list. And I, I think I came out like number who knows, like 650 ended up being like number eight in the first class that we went through because nobody wanted the job. I remember having lunch with a guy, this older uh, African-American fella having lunch. And he said, see all these guys here, all these guys here, right? Nobody took that test planning to end up here. Everybody took that test trying to be a cop. Right. And then, you know, that's why, he, and I said, well, it's interesting you say that. He goes, nobody took the test trying to end up here. And he would, and these guys, all the guys are like, don't end up here. Don't do this for right. 25 years. Don't be me. You can, you can actually see where I am too. You can even like neighboring agencies, you can see like the people who worked in corrections almost have like a, not a better grasp, but it's just their, their, uh, their people skills are, are above uh, like a new recruit out of the academy. Oh, no question about it, dude. I mean, you, you listen, you, you got to learn quick. I was 19 when I started. So, uh, you know, you learn, you can agree that you learn very quickly. You sink it or swim it. And I've seen guys quit, like, and I understand why. It's a tough gig, but I'm not a quitter, so I didn't quit. No, and I, I kind of had no idea. Like I said, I was young like you were, and um, I didn't know, like, what what the academy was. And then, you know, day one comes, and I'm like, what did I sign up for? I didn't know it was all this. <laughs> uh, how old are you now? I am 46. Oh, but do you look young for 46? Yeah, I just, I just had a birthday um, not too long ago. So, yeah, 46. I don't see much gray hair on your fucking face. No, I, don't. I, got, I got pretty good hair. All right. Uh, well, let me knock off the sexual behavior now and go into some of the things that lead us here today. Uh, namely, now that you said before we started that you were in quite a few shootings, but namely the one I guess that brings us here today is the one that you received most recognition for was the... Uh, I guess it was a domestic incident. I'll let you tell the story. And uh, so you, you got a canine off. You became a canine officer. Let's let's go to that evening of this uh, this significant incident that occurred. What was the um, night like? Were you like feeling weird shit before that? No, this was actually it was actually a it was a beautiful day. It was Friday afternoon, which was you know usually the the bad stuff happens later on in the day, um, but it was one o'clock. I was actually in my garage working out and uh, the phone rang and I uh, was one of the dispatchers at my department. And he just said, Hey, can you come in? You and Kit come in. We're looking for a guy involved in a domestic disturbance. So I didn't think anything of it. I was like, yeah, okay. I had to work at three 30 that day. So I figured I would just go to work, uh, you know, go do the track for this guy, either uh, find him and come home, shower, then go work my regular shift. It was no red flags on the call. So I get, kit together, put him in the car. I take off about 10 minutes after I got the call. And as I'm driving uh, to the scene, the, the call kind of went from like a three uh, to a 10. It, it started, he ran in the woods. He had a gun. He has two firearms now, two confirmed firearms. So it was kind of like, all right, this might be a bad dude, but it is what it is. So I get there and uh, we're trying to trying to get a, like a point last scene. They have a bunch of like surveillance cameras at this. It's a housing complex, kind of low income housing complex. So finally we got some Intel that he left a particular building and ran into the wood line. So I, I was in this wood line one other time, probably like three years prior. And it is just nasty. It's all swamp. You can't see. And Due to that, I requested a third guy. Usually it will just be me and one backup guy, but I asked for a third guy just because I knew this area was so bad. Then we uh, stepped off into the woods and we were, God, we went a couple hundred yards in the woods. And then um, 
it just went to shit quick. The we're going through this uh, swamp and couldn't see anything. And all of a sudden Kit um, jumps onto this like four foot rock. And as he's jumping over the rock, he makes contact with the suspect who's hiding behind this rock. And then it was uh, three quick shots uh, right off the rip, which I knew instantly killed uh, Kit. And then it was just a full on firefight after that. I was probably five feet away from this guy at the time when he shot my dog. And then I just started dumping rounds. The two guys that were with me, same thing, just started dumping rounds. And I fired all the rounds in my on my gun and I tried to reload and uh I the dude that was next to me he's like high speed hot shit he's like what the hell's going on everyone thinks too like when you're in a shooting it's all yelling you're yelling at each other it's like chaos but my experience the the stuff I've been involved in it's just talking like how we're talking right now and um he said what's what's going on and I'm like I can't reload my fucking arms blown off well so, um uh, the rounds went into uh, my forearm and just blew my whole arm up. So by that, uh, I just started, I was losing a ton of blood. There's blood going everywhere. And I literally could see that I couldn't hold my gun anymore. My, my hand just started like losing function, dropped my gun. That's when I fell on the ground. They're still dumping rounds into this guy. And uh, luckily the, one of the officers with me, uh, Dickie Cyber was a army combat medic. He put a tourniquet on me and ultimately, uh, saved my life uh, the right guy in the right place oh my god yeah thank god and the other uh matt donahue he ended up taking a round in his bicep and it went out his back um oh, he got shot in the arm and he's still dumping around so yeah it was it was wild what kind of gun were you guys hit with he had a 40 and then he had like this he didn't even use the other gun the other gun was some like shitty revolver he had he never got to that but he had a uh a 40 cal, he had um, 12 rounds, he had nine hits. Wow. Yeah. So everyone's like, oh, you know, what was he? Did he shoot before? It's like he, we were so close that we were bound to get hit a couple of times. It was just, it was close quarters. So there was no, it just it is what it is. Did you guys have long guns or patrol rifles or anything? Yeah, Officer Cyber did have, uh, Matt and I just had our pistols, but um, Dickie did have a long gun with him. What do you have? A, uh, like a, like a, M4? Yeah. AR-15? Yes. Was he able to put rounds through that? Oh, God. he. I don't even know. I think they said, uh, the, well, they did say we hit the uh, the suspect over 40 times. Between oh, because you guys made fucking switch cheese of his ass. Yeah, buddy. It was, uh, he, he ran into the wrong dudes that day. Maybe he ran into the right dudes. You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. The wrong dudes would have, would have been three dead cops. Right. Yeah. So, I, we didn't have... Uh, if Kit wasn't out in front of us, it would have been a different ball game because you could not even uh, – we would have walked right into this this guy. You couldn't even see where he was. The importance of a canine unit, you know what I mean? I Unfortunately, you, I know that you lost the dog, and I'm terribly sorry about that. I'm not going to go down that road with you. Uh, but that's the – you know, like, so we have these these police administrators that are anti-canine unit. Uh, it's so interesting that we can't quantify the amount of life that's lost over these boring decisions by administrations – over the years and the amount of lives that have been saved by good decisions by good administrators. Right. Um, so these are why we're such, uh, we're so adamant about having these specialized divisions, whether they look good or bad, whose lives are important. And hopefully that we begin to recognize that, that everybody's lives important, especially cops. Right. So you get the tourniquet on you. What's now you're what a hundred yards into the woods. 
yeah, we're buried in the woods. And there was, I remember like hearing, I could hear like some stuff over the radio and there was guys saying like, where are they? And I was like, how the fuck do they not know where we are? We just fired all these rounds and they don't know, like you can't hear where we are. So that was like the big thing that I'm trying to get to me to evac me out of there. So how'd they, how'd they get you out of there? They ended up bringing a backboard in and like a bunch of guys just carried me out, which I knew I was, uh, when I ultimately fell on the ground after and Dickie was putting the tourniquet on me, I could, I knew how much blood I was losing. I could, couldn't move my hand. I told him, I'm like, I'm fucked. I'm in like a, I knew I was in, in the shit, like, uh, like the fight for my life at the time, because I knew I, there was freaking blood everywhere. But, so they get you on a backboard to start carrying you out. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing it probably takes a while to get you out of the goddamn woods, yeah, right? It, it took a while. And uh, like, a crazy story is when they're like dragging me out. I was seeing, I was kind of in and out of consciousness, but I was seeing certain people and I was seeing like my friends in the woods and um, like seeing my friends crying in the woods. I was like, Oh my God, like this, if it, these guys are this upset, like I am not in a good way. So I think that was the, I think those guys thought that was um, like the last time they're going to see me alive. Well, that's what they thought too. Cause I talked to them days later and that's what they, they thought I was all done. Fuck. Yeah. So you're getting carried out of the woods. You're going in and out of consciousness. What is going through your mind outside of like seeing these guys cry? Like what's. Oh, I was, I, the, the, I tell, tell everyone like the biggest, I have two young daughters and my daughter turned two years old the day before the shooting. And that was like my biggest thing. I'm like, Oh my God, my kids aren't even going to know who the hell I am. Cause they're so young. They're going to hear some like stories from my friends. Like, Oh yeah, he was a good dude. Uh, he did this and that. But I'm like, that was my big thing. Like, at a six month old at the time and my two year old. And that was the going through my head. If I don't do something, um, it's going to be bad, but that's why I was trying to calm myself down. Everyone thinks you, you get like amped up when you get shot. I remember like laying there, like control your breathing, relax, because if you start getting all jacked up, it's going to make things 10 times worse. So that was, that was one of the things that, uh, that I just kept telling myself. How are you controlling your breathing? Can you walk us through that a little bit? I don't, I don't know how the hell I was honestly doing it. I was just, uh, you know, telling myself, calm down, calm down. Like it's going to be good. You know, it is, this happened. It is what it is. One of the worst things too, where I fell, um, I was like staring face to where my dog ended up landing after he got shot. I was literally like 10 feet away from him face to face, which was, I'm like, holy fuck, this is, you know, my dog's dead. Don't panic. And I don't know. I don't know how I, uh, I just told myself that's what I got to do. I knew I would make it worse if I started getting all upset and feeling bad. I would have probably been a different outcome. You ever premeditate how you were going to behave prior to getting into an incident like this? No, I did. Um, I will. I'll go back a little bit before my first shooting. I always like saw other guys that, and I've also talked to uh, cops from around the country that kind of said the same thing about this. Like when you're a new guy, you look at people who have been in the shit and you're like, Oh, I could, I could do what he did. I wonder how I'd react if, you know, if I was in that situation that he was in, you kind of like looking up to these guys that did these things and then it happens to you. And you're like, why the fuck would I ever, why did I want to be in that situation? Or yeah, it's great to see that you can, you can react to something bad and, and do what you're trained to do. But on the other side, like, why would you want to be involved with that? And that's, that, that was kind of my, uh, why did I think like that as a, a young cop? All right. So they're, they're getting you out of the woods. You get out. 
Are you going into an ambulance? Are you going to a helicopter? Where are you? Yeah, heading? I went to an ambulance, which initially I was supposed to. The plan was for me to go into Boston to like a level one trauma center, but they didn't think I lost so much blood that they didn't think I would make the trip to Boston. So they took me to uh, Social Hospital, which is like the um, the town right next to Braintree in Weymouth. And what were they able to do? Just stabilize you at some point? Yeah, yeah, they were. I cannot say enough uh, good things about them. They were. They were unbelievable. And I was, I was probably, I probably got to the hospital in five minutes. Like the, they had the roads blocked right in the Celsius hospital. I was probably in the hospital for 10 minutes before they were wheeling me into surgery. Like they weren't wasting. It's almost like they shut the whole place down for me. It was, it was crazy. I don't remember a ton of it. I'm just, this is what people were telling me, but. Just a lot of overwhelming and, yeah. you know, I guess, sensory overload type of shit going on. You got, you know, you're in the fight of your life. Right. So you get into surgery. Do you remember coming out of surgery? And when was your wife notified? I'm a, I'm a single guy, no wife for me. Okay. But uh, my family was, so my father retired from Braintree PD. It was like eight years ago. So that poor guy, how he learned, he, they were sending like people to like pick up my parents, pick up my sister my father was watching the news and the, the breaking news came on. And he said at the same time that came on, he could hear someone out front. And there was a cruiser pulling out front to uh, pick him up, to bring him to the hospital. So he thought like, I felt bad for him. Cause he was, once he saw the cruiser pull up, he's like, Oh my God, this is him. And he's dead. Um, my cousin picked up my mother, which my mother was horrified. And um, yeah, it was kind of like a blur. I just remember uh, the, the canine canine guys are different than, regular cops we say the canine guys are like the the weirdos but we're such a tight tight group those guys like set up camp at the hospital and um they didn't leave until they were pretty much thrown out of the hospital so i remember those like waking up and those guys were all all in there and it was pretty crazy but again it took me like i was in a fog for days after the surgery i could i couldn't tell you like everything that was going on but what were the injuries that you sustained oh god i i um my arm was pretty much destroyed i um lost four four inches of my radius was gone i ended up having to take bone from my hip to replace my radius i had nerve damage my my arm was just a complete mess dickie who was with me said my elbow was coming out the back of my uh tricep that's why dude the rounds went into my forearm and then pretty much just shattered my, you can see my arm is pretty banged up, just exploded. Wow. wow. So. And how, and what's the kind of pain that you're living with now? It's, it's still pain. I, I try not, I don't complain about cause people have it 10 times worse than me. So I don't complain about the pain, but it's just, if my hands feel like there's uh my fingers, like there's elastics attached to my fingers and that's hopefully that goes away in time. But for the, for the most part, I'm just, I don't complain. I just deal with it. I know I'm lucky. I got hit a couple other times too. That one of them hit me in the the side here, the rounds. And if you saw the picture of the 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 my vest, literally right on the seam of the vest. I don't know how this thing, how the vest caught this, but it was literally centimeters from going through the seam of the vest. So you were hit more than just the ones that actually penetrated. You got hit in the I vest hit five times. Uh, two in the front, my vest, and then one on this side. So the vest saved your life. Oh yeah. Yep. What do you tell people who think they shouldn't be wearing vests or they, they don't wear them? Oh my God. I can't like, 
the, we have a mandatory uh, way of policy now, but like some of like, you hear some people complain about like vests and it's like, are you, are you uh, but these are the guys that are like, oh, nothing's gonna happen to me. Nothing will happen. It's people who aren't wearing their vests now. It's like, wake up, bad shit happens. Put your vest on. It's the same thing with tourniquets. When we first, our department made it mandatory to wear a tourniquet on your person. And you would have thought like they told people to like, you got to carry around a 50 pound boulder. They're like, where am I going to put this thing? I got to carry this, this tourniquet. They were all complaining. And now, you know, fast forward, look what happens. And thank God that we were uh, forced to wear these on our, on our person. Have you ever met Mario Oliveira? Yes. Good man. Sure is. And I don't know if anybody's more of a proponent for wearing a bulletproof vest than him. Correct. Yeah. Mario's um, Mario. I knew Mario before this happened. And then, um, we still keep in touch too. He's been unbelievable to me, Mario. Such a good guy. A great guy. Yep. Uh, he'll actually be doing something at our conference in 2023 in April. Uh, he'll be get, telling his story on stage at the Street Cop Conference. And then actually him and uh, Johnny Castro. You ever see Johnny Castro art? Yeah, he's um, another great guy. Johnny's a good man. I met yeah, him yeah, a few times. Great yeah, John, it was about 45 minutes from East Philly down in Philly. And they're going to be presenting the awards this year for Street Cop Survivors. Oh, good. There's two guys we handed out. It'd be really cool. It'd yeah, be really cool. that's good. I just read Mario's book too. If you check out his book, it's it's pretty good. I think he sent me a copy. Yeah, it's pretty good. He's a good dude, man. And he actually hosts our training up there. Yeah, his presentation is like lights out. If um, for people who haven't seen it, it's uh, it's um, it's amazing. Yeah, I've been told that his presentation is outrageous. Great guy. You know, sometimes cops don't realize that even just hearing a story may save your life. You don't have to have practical value of what he's going to tell you tactically to do, but some of the most simple things in life are the things that help us. Wear your vest. Don't do this. Don't do that. What are some of the things you learned and you would like to pass on, maybe good or bad, from the incident? God, I was, people thought I was like uh, over the top of my training with my dog. And I, I look back and I was a little bit anal like i would if i had a track on shift and i didn't find someone i'd pretty much redo that track on my day off the next day and do it i was constantly training with my dog so i think that's the thing like you can't you can't train enough and as a canine guy i tell people like choose your backup wisely because if you're going in to the woods and you have someone with you. I know you can't always choose, but if you have someone with you that doesn't want to be there or isn't going to fight when he has to fight, it's going to end bad for you. And that's why, like, luckily I had the right guys with me. And that's every time when I deployed with my dog, guys would be like, I'll go with you. And you, you want, like, the right guys going with you. You cannot train enough. And I was over the top with my dog to the point where my friends thought I was absolutely crazy doing stuff on my, uh, passing up opportunities to go do fun stuff because I wanted to go do stuff with my dog with my, with Kit and I, like I would, I would have a track on, um, a night on shift. And then if it, we didn't have, if we had like negative results on the track, I would redo the track the next day. So pretty much like over the top with my training with Kit, I would redo tracks uh, pass up doing fun things with my friends just so I could go out and do train with my dog where like I look back and I'm like wow I was some of it was ridiculous but ultimately like I'm here today because of what I did vests tourniquets super important super important so you're in the hospital there's you're recovering how long did you just remain in the hospital 
seven days. How many additional surgeries have you had? Was it just those surgeries? Yes, and then uh, the six right now total. Wow. So you're done or you got more, you got more surgeries in the room. I hope I'm done. There's, the last one was to try to get um, my hand working. So my hand would close, but it wouldn't open. So that was in my last surgery was in March to try to get my fingers to, uh, to work again. And um, it, it seems to be working. So. All right. Here's a question for you. You've gone through these therapies, all this stuff. How do you see life now? How has that altered your opinion about life and what do you think about it? God, it's, um, I put me first before, like it was work, it was work, 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 um, all about work. And now I, I see there's like, there's other stuff out there. Like my kids, um, doing fun things with your friends, like cops get just so entwined in like the cop life and think it's, they're going to like miss something or they're crazy about like, I got to work this many hours to like uh, be financially stable. It's like, go enjoy and do what you got to do because there's more to life than the job. Yeah. We had a guy a few episodes ago, he was an Atlanta cop and he, I said to him the same question. He said, I don't work off duty and extra duty or security details. Like I used to, I actually take less money, but spend more time with my kids. Right. Yeah. Cause I was, I would, pa- I, I'm telling you, I would pass up going on vacations because I wanted to, I didn't want to like miss stuff and I wanted to um, be able to work my dog. Like it was crazy. I didn't want to be, if something happened, I wanted to be the guy that was there. And it was, I look back, I'm like, what were you thinking? Dude, I think that that comes with time on this earth Yeah, and wisdom. You know, you really start to get I don't know, clear about what's important. And that's why we as a company show up and tell these younger generations of cops, because that's our demographic. That's our niche. Um, Listen, we know who you are. We were you. Here's the things we think are and did that were wrong and right. And if you listen and you like what you hear, like this whole thing can be different. Your life could be better. You said, I asked you earlier, if you saw or if you knew Jesse Hartnett, you said you were meeting him. And then the, we kind of lost a little bit of a. Yeah, I'm actually um, a group of us um, are gonna, going to New Hampshire on Saturday. And we're going to do um, hike Mount Washington. And Jesse's going? Jesse's going. Yeah, it'll be the first time um, I've heard about Jesse. I've read his story. Uh, seems like a good dude. And uh, Great guy, bro. He's a good, he's a good friend of mine. Is he really? Yeah. I'll get to no, yeah. You, listen, he became a friend of mine after the shooting and I reached out to him. I think a lot of people reached out to him and I said, listen, bro, uh, you know, I have no interest in, in trying to take advantage of your situation. I have interest in being your friend and putting you on a platform to tell your story. If you'd like to do that. Yeah, I can't wait. So we're actually driving up to New Hampshire tomorrow. All of us are meeting up there and uh, yeah, so I'll be, I'll be with Jesse tomorrow. So I can't wait to tell him I did this. I love, dude, I, when I tell you, I love that dude, he, you're going to, I don't know if anybody in the world's ever met Jesse Harnett and not loves him. He's got, he's such an easygoing guy. Such a light sense of humor. What a what a sweet, he's like a fucking teddy bear. He's a sweet guy. Really. And him and Paulia, him and Paulia boys now too, which is pretty awesome. That's like the the thing about this. Um, it's like the club that you think you want to be part of, but you don't want to be like the cops are got shot. <laughs> the then, entry fee sucks. Yeah. But you um the people I've met, I've met some uh, some officers from across the country that I'll probably talk to now forever because of uh our connection of what happened. And yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting Jesse. I can't wait. You checked out the Facebook group, uh, Street Cop Survivors Club? Yes. Are you in it? No, I'm not a big Facebook guy. The reason I bring it up and I don't bring it up to try to promote it because there's no promotion to it. It just 
I want people to know that it exists and are aware of it. So essentially there's 108, probably 120 now uh, police officers who were significantly injured in the line of duty. So it's called, and they actually have a wife's club. They did a spin off of the wife's club. I know that you're not on Facebook a lot, but maybe just to have it to go into that. And those guys are very welcoming. And that's where these people have found, you know, I'm not saying you'd be friends with 120 or 130 people, but Typically, what I see is a lot of men and women with similar injuries tend to become very good friends. You have some of the guys will write to me and girls and like, I literally have made two of the best friends of my life in this group and they understand me and we get together and like, this one's going to be this one's godfather of his kid. Like, this is amazing shit. It's only been going on for about 10 months now. And everybody who's in it said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm not a therapist. I just recognize, you know. Maybe we should get all these people together. They feel like they're fucking lonely and they have nobody else. And they're just so compassionate, empathetic for one another. And these are tough people, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. I think you can relate. Obviously, you can relate to these people that are going through what you're going through. You can't like, you could talk to the guy that uh, the cop that's like, oh, yeah, that sucks what you're going through. And it's like, why? Have you been, did you get shot? No, but I read this book and it's like, no, you don't talk to me because you have, you have no idea what goes with it. So it's, um. It's good to be able to talk to some of these other people that are going through similar things, just to bounce thoughts off them, like things, things that like go through your head. You're like, is that normal? Did you do that? So I know like now I have this little platform being through it a couple of times that I can help other people that are going through it. So uh, it's a big thing. Tell me about mental health associated with this. Um, I will say talking to like, other cops across the country, mental health, like what their departments do for them. I think my department is like light years ahead of what other people are doing. Um, we have mandatory training that everyone has to go through yearly about mental health, but um, it's definitely a real thing. Um, if I, if I uh, told you I didn't think about my incidents daily, I'd be lying to you. Um, I, don't, um, I don't sit at home and cry and be like, oh, why me? Why this happened? But it's just, uh, I'm good with everything that I've done, but the, the feelings and the thoughts don't go away. The, the reminders uh, don't go away. There's reminders all over my house about my dog. Doesn't go away. It gets, it's almost like it gets worse every day. It's a constant issue, but you just learn to deal with it. I don't think people realize the significance that they have to acknowledge how impactful mental health is going through with significant trauma. And what it really does to you, and you may think you're resilient and nothing bothers you. Nobody is off the chopping block for being affected and having significant issues, uh, mental health way. And and by the way, I don't know if you, if you, Billy, if you noticed that you were doing, were you doing weird shit that later you're on? You're like, what the fuck was I doing? Yeah, I think I was just like tuned, like talking to uh, like my family. I'd be like tuned out. They'd be like talking. Like I would just be like staring into space, like doing shit. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd catch myself like thinking crazy shit, just driving around. I'd be like, what the, you forget where you're even freaking going. You're just driving. So there's some stuff. It's just like, it's like you're, there's this like cloud hanging over your head. And um, I know for me, after my, my first shooting, I went back to work way too quick. I went back to work in less than a month after my, my first shooting. And I, I'm like, oh, I, I got to go back because if I don't go back quick, um, people at work are going to think I'm like a softie that I have something wrong with me. So I went back way too quick 
I couldn't believe I was even cleared to go back. I didn't realize it until uh, my first uh, deployment with my dog. Uh, we had a, a call for a, a home invasion and um, I was going through the woods tracking the suspects and I was literally every friggin' noise that was uh, like stepping on a branch break and I thought it was like someone jumping out at me and I knew I wasn't in a good spot. What should that's, people that's know? That's a big thing too. Like don't like people that do go through this, don't, if you're having that feeling like I got to go back, people are going to think I'm, I'm this if I don't go back, like give me a break. Those are the people who don't understand and probably haven't done shit. What do you tell people who haven't been involved in significant instances like that regarding their judgment of the person who has been involved in that? What do you what do you say to a guy who maybe be critical or thinking like, why does this guy come back yet? I mean, I, I would have been back. Uh, and, and from a compassionate place, not from an angry place. What do you tell them? How, how should they see somebody who goes through something like this? Oh, I, I, the people who haven't been through it, I just tell them like, you have no idea. It takes time. And that's, I try to tell people now too. It's like, you have to go out and do your job, but don't, don't wish to be in this club. Like don't, you do not want to be part of this. Like it's, um, things take time, like time to heal. And it doesn't, my, my first shooting was five years ago and I still think about it all the time. It doesn't, people are like, Oh, it goes away. No, it doesn't. Like you, you kind of put it on the back burner, but it could be um, like a, a smell or a sound from that night and it just comes back. So um, it takes time and don't judge unless you've been there. Compassion is probably one of the most important life skills people can learn. And I don't think a lot of us are taught compassion at any point in your life. Maybe see, blips and blurbs of it from somebody in your life who actually, I think, I think compassion and giving are two different things. I think you could give because you're a nice person, but to have compassion and empathize with somebody's position is a whole different thing. So for example, why I say that is my parents would do pretty much anything for anybody, right? They, they, just, they were, and it's, as nuts as it sounds, but they weren't compassionate people. They were good in the sense that like you could, Ask them for a favor and they would do it for you. They would they would jump through hoops for you, but they yet weren't compassionate. It would be with judgment. And it, you got to practice it, man. Like I'm constantly practicing compassion, constantly trying to just pump the brakes a little bit, trying to see it from somebody else's side. And believe me, I still have my struggles with it all the time. Uh, sometimes I don't even have compassion with myself. Right. But there are a lot of things that we need to begin to introduce into this profession. And you'll be just more thankful when you could be you know, more compassionate towards others. Right. Exactly. Anything else that you want to touch on before we kind of begin to wrap this thing up? Have you got another dog? Are you doing that? Or No, I, there's been so many people like reaching out to me, like they want to like offer me a dog, like we'll buy the dog. But honestly, I don't, I don't have enough love to give another dog right now. I don't know if I ever will. We'll see what happens. Um, Did you love the dogs before becoming a canine handler? Yeah, I, I always had dogs growing up. Um, but this was like on a whole, whole nother level. Like I know I get it. you talk to like canine guys and they're like, oh yeah, like you, you don't know like what having a dog is until you get in this unit and you're like, yeah, okay. I've had dogs growing up. But then when you're, when you're with, you're w with this dog more than you with your family members you work every day, you're freaking talking to the dog. Like he's a human when he's in the, uh, in the back of your cruiser. So it was on, uh, pets are here. Like being a canine guy is on a whole another level. And it's almost like you don't get it unless you're, unless you're in the cane in canine. So yeah, it's, that was like devastating. My injuries will heal. And like I said, I don't complain about them. It is what it is, but that's, um, 
if I could take one thing away from that day, it was my dog uh, getting shot and killed and, you know, the, the sounds, um, what happened to him ultimately is that if I could take that out of my brain, I would be good. Cause that, I know the other two guys that are with me, that's like, we talk about like, what's one thing that like crushed you that day. It wasn't me getting shot. It was watching what happened to Kit. Been in touch with the other guys a lot. Yeah. I see them all the time where those are my boys and we hang out. We just went to breakfast the other day. So I'm, I constantly see them. We're constantly texting each other, just being like, Hey, you good. So yeah, luckily, um, I know some other, some other people don't, don't have that relationship with guys that they were involved in critical incidents with, but we're kind of, uh, they're stuck with me now. So they're, uh, they're good dudes. That's great, man. And has the camaraderie of the three of you being involved in this helped? Yeah, I think, I, I think that's, and I'm going to speak for a lot of guys out there. Like my, um, my other incidents too, like the, the guys that were with me on my first one, the guys that were with me on my second one, and these guys that were with me last June, it's kind of, you've got like this bond with each other that you can't explain to other people. Like, even if you're not talking every day or not working the same shift, but when you see them, it's like, it's something different than just like a, a guy on another shift or a woman on another shift. It's kind of, you have this like special bond that you can't explain, but you can just, we have it by being together with what uh what happened you think it's got similar to like the academy classmate bond um yeah yeah because yeah, it's like i don't i don't know how uh most guys you have like some academies are so huge it's probably like a handful of uh men and women that you still keep in touch with down the road um even if they're in like a different agency so it's, yeah it's kind of like that but yeah it's, it's just a bond that you don't get unless you were you were there at that incident. So you always remember it and you're connected forever, whether you like it or not. I think about the people I went to the Academy with maybe a few people, in my first Academy, I did three of them. Yep. Uh, maybe people in my first Academy, some of them really still very much uh, close with, um, but certainly my second and third Academies, there are people. My second one was wonderful. I mean, what a, what a good group of people. Majority of those people. I mean, as soon as I, I didn't see them for 15 years, I saw them about a year and a half ago and, it was immediate, like, I don't know how to explain it to people who haven't been through police academies or aren't cops. They're like your family. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. Like, bro, it's like, it's like, there is no awkwardness about it at all. I mean, it's like seeing your brother or sister again. There's just, I don't know, even, even yeah, I don't know. I just, there's just this weird thing. Even, and I worked, I worked at a bigger agency. We were 200 guys and girls. And um, I wasn't on shift with everybody that I worked with. But, you know, if I happen to work somebody else's shift, uh, but the three of us who went to the same squad together, you know, they weren't the toughest dudes. They weren't the best cops I ever saw, but those are my boys. Right. Yeah, man. I just, I, I just still in touch with a lot of people from my Academy, but yeah, I have my, my Academy too. We had, um, again, we, we're like, we had departments from all over in one Academy, but we pretty, it was weird. Cause we pretty much all got along in the Academy. There were no no issues. And even the, some of the, the people in the um, class that I don't, I haven't talked to in a while. I know I could call them and be like, Hey, um, if I had a question, they would, they would answer it. It's, I was lucky. I went were you guys reaching out your academy classmates when you got shot with coming out of the woodwork? Yeah, they were, they were unbelievable. Yeah. I bet. I'm sure. I'm fucking, I'm sure. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause you know how they say in the academy, like uh, one of you will be involved in this. One of you will do that. It was kind of like, Oh shit. Yeah. Maybe they, they were right. So, but yeah, they were big, great people. I don't have anything bad to say about anyone that I went to the academy with. We were, uh, we're pretty lucky. 
pretty lucky group. It's interesting. Even the ones that were kind of like uh, lackluster, I would say. Yeah. Still feel like family. It doesn't matter. They graduated. Yeah, we, just- we, we had, a, I can't even say that. Like we had all good people, uh, guys and gals in the, in our class. It's, I know that's crazy to say, but there was no, uh, it was, my, it was my second academy was like that. My second academy was 24 of us that went through to the federal law enforcement training center. And one, it was the best five and a half months of my life. I, I literally love those. I, there's not one of them. I didn't, well, maybe there's one. And if my academy classmates are listening to this, they'll laugh because they know exactly who like, it is. Isn't it, you can probably uh, speak to this too. Isn't it like you hear new guys, they'll be like getting out of the academy. How was the academy? Oh, suck this and that. I'm like, I would go back right now if I could go back to my academy and, and do it all over again. Cause Honestly, those are, those are better days than what's ahead. You want to get out and go do the job, but I'm telling you, those are the days. Like, cherish the days in the academy because it's good times and good people. I actually have PTSD about being a recruit because I went to it three times. Right, that's a lot. So I, I literally have fucking like nightmares of me back in the police academy, and I'm so like, oh, wanna, what the you fuck? Am go I-? back. Well, first of all, due to my injuries, I can't. Um, two, not a snowball chance in hell. No way, huh? I well, would. dude, I mean, you got to think about it. So if people ask me like, oh, would you be the chief of police? Like, no. Mm-mm. Like, would you take a job as a chief of police? Like, the reason is, is like, yeah, I can help 40 guys, right? Right. But like, I'd rather help fucking 400,000 guys. Right. And this is this is what, where I've landed at this point in my life. And I'm glad to be, dude, imagine me going to the academy and like, they bring the fucking case law instructor in. I mean, yeah. it's what I teach, right? And like, there's like the guys like this. I'm like, yeah, you're wrong. Yeah. You're fucking wrong. Yeah. This is what you teach these guys here? That's what it would be. I I was doing it in my third academy. I was. Oh, that's that's why I like even your your Instagram and stuff. The shit you put up is like they should friggin' put that in academies because some of the shit they're pushing is. And this is another thing too. This I might go off here, but they have. And I, I'm not the toughest guy. I'm not. I'm not fucking saying that I am. But they have these people teaching at the academy that have never done a fucking thing. And they're, they're, they're teaching active shooter because they went to some bullshit class or watched a video. Um, they're teaching all the fucking tactics classes when they fucking haven't been in a fist fight. Like, it's disgusting. Like, what the, the people that are teaching at the academy, I'm like, oh, my God, this is – that's frustrating to me. And well, I check have, this I, out, dude. It's bad. Watch. We'll, 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 we'll reveal something right now. You are obviously a canine guy, a hard charger. Uh, I would imagine at some point you were you were you were you were just out there in the shit, like looking at just by what you're talking about and kind of what I can gather from seeing you and hearing you and watching your body language. Could they have convinced you to go to the academy Monday through Friday to jog? Um, no. Yeah. So I always tell people they are not. I'm not saying there's not good guys and girls in some of these academies. You could have never gotten me and the hard chargers at the police department, the, the yeah. eight to 15 of us out of the 200 that were there to right. ever go. You know what? Yeah, we're done with this. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go jog at the academy and teach recruits for six months. Right. And then have two weeks off and do it again. It just was not my forte. Now I have a friend of mine who is towards the end of his career. He is looking at taking a position at his academy, uh, at the academy, because he's like, look, dude, I'm so close to the end. And I really want to change things there before I leave. That's where I want to see my impact. But you could have never taken him as a hard charger and stuck him in the academy five years on a job. I mean, dude. They put me on the range. I'd be fucking monitoring the radio on the range. I'm like, oh my God, there's a fucking pursuit. Yeah, I'm down here. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fucking farms instructor. And then I asked eventually, they're like, do you want to do the range anymore? I'm like, no, can you guys just please take me off the range? Like, can you just let me be an instructor like once every class so I keep my cert so I don't go back yeah. to the, the range school again. But 
I would just rather be pushing a black and white. I don't care. Yeah. Oh, you to get it. I don't care about the domestics. I'm no. willing to take that shit. Yeah. To, and trade that in for some of the, some of the fun. I mean, dude, being in radio patrol was so much fucking fun, dude. I don't know if I would have ever gone to another division. I'm not saying that because I didn't have opportunities for me. That's where it was at. I know there was some bullshit with it and all that shit. And they, and they shit on you a lot. Right. Brother, like, you know, 30, 50 person rumbles, the chaos, the fucking rescues, the fucking war, the bad storms, the pursuits, the crazy crashes, the medical, the hell of, I I just, for an adrenaline junkie, it was everything I ever wanted. But interestingly enough, towards the end of my career, I could not get my adrenaline going anymore. Really? I just couldn't get it pumped up. I just wasn't like the drug wasn't strong enough anymore. Fuck. Yeah, it's crazy. It's interesting, but it wasn't strong enough. It just, and I was so calm and such high stress situations um pursuits would still do it for me but we weren't having a lot at the time yeah we just weren't we weren't getting into a maybe having like one a week and i i think that's with time too though like because i know like certain calls like this would be getting like all amped up over a call and i'd be like what what is like am i missing something but you still i would get it on like good calls after again i haven't been back to work since what happened but um god i don't i don't know i wonder if that would happen to me going back now no more uh adrenaline rush listen dude it's fucking awesome meeting you. And uh, yeah, right. I think people are really going to get a lot from this. And it just reminds people of mortality and the importance of mental health. And the things you spoke about are, are stark reminders of the realities of this profession. No question about it. Yeah, hopefully. I uh, I don't know if there's anything else we're missing, but hopefully someone will get something out of it. Um, and again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an open book. If I can help anyone that's going through the same shit that I am or have gone through, if there's anything. I'm uh, pretty easy to get a hold of. So, where can they get a hold of you? They can go through my department, Braintree PD. I'm I'm on Instagram, and I don't really go crazy putting my personal. What's the Instagram handle if you want to DM? Um, I, it's um, at W Cushing. Anyone that has like questions, any cops that I can help that are going through this, uh, going through the same stuff, and I can help them in any way. I don't have all the answers, and like I said, I don't um I don't claim to be a tough guy, but I've done some if you want to call it cool shit. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, it's all, it is what it is. It's all good. So I'm just, uh, I appreciate you Dennis bringing me on here and I could probably talk to you for like two more hours about stuff, but I know you, uh, you got to fly. Uh, we will get together though in person. There's no question. Yeah, definitely dude. I'd love that. Brother again. Thank you for being here. All right. Thanks Dennis. Hey guys, don't forget to check out the Street Cop Training Conference 2023, April 23rd through the 28th, Nashville, Tennessee, the Gaylord at Opry. What a center, what a place. We have amazing speakers, amazing training, five of the most impactful days of your career. Check it out at streetcop.com. You do not want to miss out. There is a room code available for a discounted room. Sign up now at streetcop.com.